following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 1-2, verses 6. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am also I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we, would, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the proportion for our sins, and we, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments, whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I am actually going to try to condense my sermon part of, of the service because of the time. It's already quarter to 11. Um, some of us care more about the clock than others. That's just the way it is. And um, because of the sun, not the sun, uh, not the because of the bright shining sun in the sky it'd be kind of me to do this my only hesitation about condensing my sermon is if this goes well I'm probably going to hear that was great why don't you do it like that all the time anyway I'll risk that and um, and get right into it so we're starting a series in 1st John So this is the same John, as far as we know, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, also wrote three letters that are interestingly called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Of course, none of these had titles on them. They were all added later. Um, Much of the wording and some of the things that are addressed in 1st John are very similar to what we see in the Gospel of John. And it appears that he was writing 
to a community of believers. And when I say community of believers, I don't mean one congregation in one place, but it seems that this is a letter that was passed around various churches that had close association with John and those who were with him. It seems that that's the way it was done in the first century, that there wasn't a centralized uh, uh, head office, HQ, of, of the church, whether it was in Jerusalem or eventually in Rome. Uh, these kinds of concepts were read back into the earlier days. It seemed that the as the church grew in that first century, it was a lot more freewheeling, that you had various people that reached out to various areas, they started uh, groups of people, congregations, fellowships, churches, um, and that they would be connected with different leaders who had come through and visit them and that sort of thing. And I actually think we've done a disservice historically to the church by formalizing some of these uh, relationships. It's very possible that the churches that he was in close contact with were this, some of you would be aware of, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which is also uh, a, a book of Revelation was written by this same person, John. So it's possible that he had this relationship with these churches and that this letter would get passed around to them. It's actually quite difficult to figure out what John is addressing in this letter because he doesn't come out and say what the problems were necessarily. There's some hints, some things are a little more clearer than others, but the way he writes what he writes is very, very helpful. Um, not only would it have been helpful to the first readers of the letter or hearers of the letter, um, but to generations ever since because it appears that the issues that he's dealing with are issues that Christians have dealt with for the past 2,000 years. So the letter begins with, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. That's verses 1 through 4. So John is very keen to urge the readers of this letter, mainly again hearers of this letter, to understand that he's speaking to them about this Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, who they not only heard, but they saw and they touched. Now, I've been talking about this in different ways for many weeks, that one of the greatest problems the church has had through the ages is not over the fact that Jesus is divine, that he is of the same essence of God. He's God made flesh. Yes, there have been believers that have denied, uh, supposed believers who have denied that, but an ongoing issue has been that he wasn't really human. And that actually he becomes source, some sort of spiritual um, concept that 
we can only relate to in some sort of spiritual way and not a really down-to-earth sort of way. The message of the gospel is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, with us on earth, with us in the stuff of our lives. And I mentioned many weeks ago that he didn't come and live as some sort of false human being who walked six inches, like floated six inches off the ground, who spoke, you know, even back in the first century, he only spoke with an English accent. And, and, he, and he looked at people with these strange sort of looks, like he just wasn't real. And for some reason, even in this early time, it was necessary to be reminded, he is not only the real deal, he's really real. He was touchable. He, we, we interacted with him. Please don't be offended. But he could have said, we felt his spit on our face when he spoke to us. Well, that blind man certainly did. He actually spit in his eyes. And that's offensive. That's offensive, especially to, to where Paul, well, sorry, where John was writing, which is modern-day Turkey, likely predominantly a non-Jewish audience. The whole idea, we talked about this, talking about the resurrection, it was completely offensive that the God could have any association with stuff, the stuff of earth, the material world. The material world was seen as evil and bad. And if there was an afterlife, the name of the afterlife game was to be shed of our material existence. But God, the true God, the God of creation, saw fit to not only visit the creation and sort of hover over it, like the Spirit did in Genesis chapter 1, but to actually to become fully part of it without taking, without being sinful himself. That Jesus became a real, touchable man who took sin upon himself without himself being tainted by sin. And that seems to be the issue in this first part of John's letter. When, when John says or writes to this community or communities, he wants to make sure that they have true connection with God. And note this. If they don't listen to him, they could talk about God, they could sing about God, but they will not have true connection with God. And the word for connection that John uses is fellowship. You're probably aware, many of you, that the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia is a mutual sharing. So whether it's the sharing of goods and money, the sharing of friendship, it's a connection, it's a togetherness. And if we don't reckon, they don't and we don't reckon with the real life touchability and humanness of Jesus and understand that he became fully man without becoming tainted by sin, we will not have true connection with other true believers and true connection 
with the true God. That's why he writes, he says in verse 4, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It appears, as you read through the letter, and I encourage you to do that as we go through the series, it's only five chapters, it's it's, it's an easy read until you actually start to try to think about what he's saying and then you realize how, how profound the book really is. And with God's help, together we're going to get to the bottom of some of what he's, what he's saying here. So what seemed to have happened is that there were people that used to be part of, the, of John's community in these various fellowships throughout uh, likely modern-day Turkey, uh, was called Asia Minor, um, that had left, left the fellowship and began to teach things about Jesus that were not true. But these teachings were appealing to the people that had stuck around. So picture, maybe it's happened in a church like this, and maybe it's not exactly like this. We know many people through the years have left for all sorts of reasons, but some of you have kept connection with some of those people through the years. Now, I'm not saying that they were teaching bad things necessarily. I'm just using this as an illustration. So, there have been churches where there have been people that have tried to teach wrong things about God. Eventually, they left. The people stayed, who kept strong connection with the people that left to the point of that they were actually buying into some of these wrong teachings. And so, you could imagine what kind of tension that would cause in the fellowship. And John, who helped start these communities, was very concerned that these negative influences were taking hold within these communities and felt that he needed to correct them. And so he's saying, I'm writing you these things that my joy would be complete. Like a spiritual father, he was burdened that his spiritual children were get going off the rails. And he was trying to get them back so that his father's heart could be uh, have some resolution that my kids are doing okay. I'm sure some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And so, with the next couple of minutes, I want to share briefly the beginning of what seems to be the next section in chapter 1 that takes us to the uh, beginnings of chapter 2 that Richita read a few minutes ago. I, I was really struck by this statement that John makes, and I'll read it to you, and my reaction was, why in the world would he need to say these words? He says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. The message that they got from the real, breathing Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, the Greek is very strong here. The Greek uses double negatives. There is a famous song. Not a good song. Ain't got no satisfaction. Double negative. And every English teacher knows that's bad English. We're not supposed to do that in English, though we do, we tend to do that sort of thing. Greek allows it. So please forgive Greek if that bothers you. Greek allows double negatives to... And we know when somebody... Uh, ain't gotten, if I say, I ain't got nothing to do, that's a way of emphasizing that I really don't have anything to do at all. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's what John is saying. God is like, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no not darkness in God. No darkness at all. Now, 
isn't this theology 101? That there's no darkness in God? Of course there's no darkness in God. God is light, right? God is pure, right? Of course he is. Who would think that there was darkness in God? Well, it seems a lot of people do. Oh, I don't. But I wonder, I wonder, when we grapple with the fact that, that God, we start to teach, God is sovereign over all things. I was saying earlier, you, know, you are in control. You're in control of everything that's happening. If you don't believe that, talk to me about that after. I think most of us believe that. God is in control of everything. Have you ever thought about what everything is? When we start to think of God's in control of everything, if we let ourselves actually ponder that, what are we saying about God's relationship to the bad stuff? I'm very aware of a lot, all the theological gymnastics that have been attempted at trying to deal with God is all good and loving and, and what's called sovereign. He's in control. Uh, and that there's evil in the world. That's a philosophical, very difficult tension. I wonder, I wonder, that as we accept that God is in control even of the negative things that have happened in our lives, of how what that does to our perception of God. For us to accept that, are we beginning to introduce elements of darkness into God? Or how about the fact of when you have a difficult theological question and somebody says to you, ah, that's a mystery. God doesn't tell all. God wants to leave us in this place of, of not knowing. And that can very easily slip into God has some tricks up his sleeve. God is hiding something. Now, we don't have the time to unpack all that. but what we And we're going to talk about it more next time because this is just the introduction to what John has to say about this. But let me say to you on this Father's Day, God is light. God is altogether pure. God is altogether good. God is altogether love. And while we may not understand why he has done certain things, why he has allowed certain things, why he hasn't revealed certain things, we mustn't let that get in the way of our understanding of who God really is. One of the things that's that's a little difficult for us when we read something like God is light, there's a tendency to simply think of that in terms of of, of how he's made up, what he's made up of, altogether light, as a some sort of, I don't even know what it is. But the biblical writers don't talk about God in such a way for us to understand what he's made up of. The biblical writers are always writing to, for us to understand his character and his deeds. His character and his deeds. God is good. God is right. Whether we understand it or not. He's not messed up. We are messed up. God is, 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 knows exactly what he's doing. We don't. 
And those who have have done well in God aren't the ones have they, they haven't turned off their minds. They haven't just kind of tried to float it through life. They've grappled with these difficult questions, but they've entrusted themselves to the God of light and goodness and holiness and purity and love. And we we need to take note of the ways that we've possibly introduced concepts of darkness into God. Our earthly parents were mixed with light and darkness. So more or less, more or less. Because they, like us, were affected by sin. But God is altogether light and goodness and pure. If we have transferred our human experiences on to God, we need to repent. We need to confess that to him and ask him to open our eyes and hearts that he would reveal to us who he really is and what he's really like. And this is not just a theological issue. This is because this is about God's character and his deeds having a correct understanding of who he really is and what he's really like is what will completely transform our lives to be the kind of people that he's called us to be and to live the kinds of lives that he wants us to live. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your love. We don't fully understand you. And help that help us to be okay with that. While at the same time, help us to receive you for who you really are and how you have revealed yourself through your Son. That he became just like us. That he bore our sins. But was not tainted by sin. And because of that, not only was he risen, raised from the dead, but he's poured out resurrection life upon us. That we could live a, light, a life of light in the midst of a dark world. Free us from the darkness. Forgive us for buying into the darkness. Forgive us for giving ourselves permission to dabble in darkness. Free us, Lord that we might be people of light, people of the God of light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.